NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. Are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, I did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Everybody standing here at Richmond, why not? This one's going to come right down to the end. One to go here. White flag is out. Hamlin in traffic. Harvick closing in. It's Hamlin and Harvick back to turn number one. Hamlin will jam it in three wide to the inside of Almarola and Joey Logano. He'll make the pass. Harvick does the same for the final time at the back straightaway. It is all Denny Hamlin at the Richmond Raceway. He's opened up four car links on Kevin Harvick in lap traffic off turn four. The streak has been broken. Denny Hamlin sees the checkered flag, and Hamlin wins the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway. Every win is big, but what's it mean for you to win back here for the fourth time at this, uh, your home track? Uh, just, I love it. I mean, I, I, I love this track and, and the techniques that it takes to get around here. I watch some of the greatest short track racers in the world at, at Southside Speedway and Langley, and um, I, I've learned so much from those guys watching the stands, and when I finally got the opportunity to apply it in real life for myself, I did. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you after a thrilling weekend in Austin, Texas, and... What we have coming up, which is a three-race short track swing. It starts this weekend at Richmond Raceway. Lots coming your way on this show, including a look back on the career of a great short track racer. Denny Hamlin is preparing to make his 800th NASCAR start this weekend at Richmond. Also, Dave Moody, Kim Kuhn, and Alex Hayden will stop by as we'll have a NASCAR Live Fast Forum for you. Corey LaJoy will join the show today as well. And we'll preview all the racing action ahead of us in the River City and a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with a check of the latest in NASCAR headlines. Kyle? Mike, appeal dates have been set for the penalties issued after the March 12th race at the Phoenix Raceway. NASCAR announced that Henrik Motorsports' appeal of the penalties will be heard on Wednesday, March 29th, while Colleg Racing will have its appeal of the 31 team heard on the 5th of April, and Denny Hamlin's will be heard on April 6th. NASCAR penalized each of Hendrick's four cup teams as well as the number 31 team of Colleg Racing with level two penalties for unapproved parts modifications. Each crew chief was fined $100,000 and suspended for four races. The teams were then further penalized 100 team and driver points as well as 10 playoff points. HMS released a statement saying that they would appeal the penalties but not request to defer the suspensions. 
Hamlin was fined $50,000 and issued a 25-point penalty for intentional contact with Ross Chastain during the closing laps of the Phoenix race. Hamlin admitted his intent, triggering competition officials to further evaluate the situation. And Kevin Harvick will have a busy all-star week when the sport makes its return to the North Wilkesboro Speedway in May. The former Cup Series champion will drive his own late model stock in the Cars Tour feature on Wednesday, May 17th. Harvick will run the number 62 as a tribute to his wife, Delana Harvick's late father, John Linville. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, Denny Hamlin is set to reach a career milestone on Sunday at Richmond. And later, some of the MRN crew will stop by and share their thoughts on the start of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like sixth grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Sunday will be a milestone start for Denny Hamlin. Denny will sit behind the wheel for his 800th NASCAR start. Fittingly, the start will come back in his home state of Virginia at Richmond Raceway, a track where Hamlin has gone to victory lane seven times. Let's take a look back on the career of Denny Hamlin. When Denny Hamlin made his NASCAR debut in 2004, he did so in an impressive fashion at Indianapolis Raceway Park. Denny Hamlin in his Truck Series debut rounds out the top 10. Nearly 20 years later after his first NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series start, the 42-year-old has racked up numerous accolades throughout his career. Early on, he made it evident he was going to be a force to reckon with. I distinctly remember Phoenix in November of 05. He won the pole position, and a lot of people were like, this this Hamlin guy, he he's for real, but a, a pole and a part-time season just getting going. I ran into him in a, in a chain restaurant in Phoenix after qualifying later that night and congratulate him. We, we kind of shared a laugh or two, and, and I told him, I said, Denny, your, your life's about to change. You're not going to be able to come and just hang out and eat at these chain restaurants uh, at, at uh, the race sites. And uh, he didn't think that was something that would ever be a problem for him. But as it turns out, just a, a couple of months later in Daytona, he wins the clash at the World Center of Racing. And we laughed a little bit more about that. And he said, nah, I kind of get an idea what you were talking about. Hamlin never looked back. His rookie season left many people in awe. And it was mainly because of his dominant performances at the Tricky Triangle. It has been Denny Hamlin Day all day. The rookie has shown the veterans how to get it done here at Pocono. Denny Hamlin leads Kurt Busch by an easy eight car length. Hamlin leaves the field, headed toward the post. Earlier today, he was called a top-tier driver by one of the other crew chiefs. And he's a rookie in his second appearance at Pocono Raceway. He's won his second race today, taking the Pennsylvania 500. You know, when I think of Denny Hamlin's career, you have to go all the way back to the year that he ran the Cup Series full-time in 2006. There was a lot that was being made of what this kid could be, but it was in Pocono that we realized what this kid was. 
to win at Pocono in his rookie of the year season, beating on that day for his first career win, Kurt Busch and Tony Stewart, I think we recognized very quickly that this was going to be somebody that was going to be a star in our sport. And then to go six races later, back at Pocono yet again, and the same driver, Denny Hamlin, was running up front and dominating. All of this again in his very first year, and I think then we realized very quickly that Denny Hamlin was going to be special in NASCAR, and he's certainly proven to be that. That success has continued throughout his career. When we discuss crown jewel events such as the Daytona 500, Hamlin's name is atop the list. Checkered flag waving at the start-finish line. Who will get there first? It's Truex on the inside, Hamlin on the outside, and too close to call. Denny Hamlin showing up as the race winner by one one-hundredth of a second. Denny Hamlin has won the 58th running of the Daytona 500. Hamlin is one of six drivers to have taken the checkered flag in the Great American Race three times or more. When you think of Daytona, there's a lot that comes to mind. Obviously, the Petties, the Allisons, the Pearsons of the world. But then there's Denny Hamlin, a three-time winner at Daytona. But Denny, I think when it comes to Daytona, is more than that. He was a driver that any time we showed up at Daytona to call a race and Denny was in the field, you knew he was going to run up front. You knew he was going to lead a ton of laps. You knew he was going to be a difficult car to pass. And obviously his win record there shows that. As a three-time winner of the Daytona 500, Denny Hamlin has etched his name in history, and that's something that he can always look back on and be proud of. When you ponder at some of Hamlin's astonishing moments throughout his career, one that stands out to many is what he pulled off in 2007 during the AT&T 250 The driver was slated to run Xfinity at the Milwaukee Mile, but his ride from Sonoma, where the Cup Series was competing that weekend, got held up. It was time to start the race. Driver introductions taking place, and and Hamlin's not there. So Al Marola uh, is going to get tabbed to to drive the car. If memory serves, they're having a hard time finding a place to land the helicopter that Denny was on uh, and was circling overhead, and they had to find an alternate place to land so Al Marola had to go ahead and start the race and by rule the driver who starts the race and runs the first lap is going to be the driver of record well Hamlin finally gets landed in the helicopter rushes over to the racetrack and as soon as they had the opportunity at one of the caution flags Al Marola came to pit road and got out of the car and Denny Hamlin got in Al Marola was doing a great job he was leading the race Denny gets in and of course they lose tons of track position with the driver change but Hamlin rallies back and and beats the field and Denny Hamlin takes the checkered flag first in the race but Eric Al Marola gets credit for the win since he was the driver of record uh, at Milwaukee so to see Denny come in late go way behind the field on a short track, basically a mile, a very flat, very difficult racetrack, and drive his way through the field to get to the checkered flag first. That was something pretty special as well. But Hamlin did a masterful job that day coming from the back of the field to win that race. On to the recent feat in today's current NASCAR playoff format. The most efficient way to advance to the next round is by winning. And when Denny Hamlin had his back against the wall in 2019, he did exactly that in one of the more clutch performances of his entire Cup Series career. Two-car breakaway up at the front. It is Denny Hamlin just in front of Kyle Busch. Busch just throws his Toyota into the corner, trying to make up the ground. But it's Denny Hamlin who leads the 
charge down the back straightaway. Doing everything he needs to do. Denny Hamlin at the front of the field, free and clear of traffic and a three-car length lead into turn three. And Denny Hamlin is also now headed to Homestead Miami Speedway. Across the line goes Denny Hamlin. And for the sixth time this season, he is going to victory lane. Outings like that is what people have respected most about Hamlin throughout his stint in NASCAR. When you show up at a racetrack and you know you've got a race against Denny Hamlin, you know that you're going to be in for a fight because Denny is one of those drivers. Once he sits behind the wheel, puts the helmet on, he's tenacious, he's aggressive, he's passionate, he's there to win, he isn't going to cut you any slack, and if he's got an opportunity to drive by you, he's going to do it in a heartbeat, and then he's going to drive away from you, and then he's going to go to victory lane, and he's done that many, many times over the course of his career. The driver has won at virtually every track we go to, and with 67 wins combined across the National Series, is destined for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. As Hamlin makes his 800th NASCAR start at Richmond this weekend, you can sum up his career with one phrase. He's a winner. Coming up, Dave Booty, Kim Kuhn, and Alex Hayden join me for a NASCAR Live Fast Forum, and later, Corey LaJoy stops by. Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full season price of the year. Just go to YouTube.com slash Spotify offer to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6. No refunds. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We welcome you back to NASCAR Live. Time for three of my esteemed Motor Racing Network colleagues to join me for a NASCAR Live Fast Forum. We have Alex Hayden, we have Dave Moody, and we have Kim Kuhn. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Hey, thanks for having us. Howdy. Howdy. Let's get going. Let's start with current events. We're coming off our first road course weekend of the year. A weekend that, at least for the Cup Series, saw a lot of rambunctiousness at the end of the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix. Dave, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on how things ended and how long things took to end in Austin over the weekend. Did get a little stretched out, a little elongated at the end with three overtimes. I think we could have had 14 overtimes and Tyler Reddick still wins the race. He was he was just that good. But you're, lot, uh, you're right, a lot of malarkey. Uh, as the late Jim Hunter used to call it, bamboozlement and chicanery, a plenty uh, behind that battle for the lead. I don't know what to do about it, really. And I feel for the drivers because you have two choices. Jump into the pool and go nine wide instead of eight wide or have 14 guys pass you going into turn one. It's um, it's exciting. It's not exactly white glove racing. But then again, we've never really been all about white glove racing. So I'm I'm glad this is a problem that I don't have to solve. Kim, what about you? The last couple of weeks, we have drivers talking about, quote unquote, disrespect in the garage, and everyone says nothing can be done about it. What's your take on what we saw Sunday and basically a theme or a trend that's been building over the course of the first six weeks? I think it depends on where we are racing, what the circumstances are. Yes, I think overall there's probably... I don't know if I'll call it a disrespect, but maybe a, a different etiquette book, if you can even call it that, that some of the drivers uh, are living by something different than we saw and what we'll consider 
old school NASCAR. And I know, you know, Kyle Busch had some pretty staunch comments on that. But again, very circumstantial because, you know, you look at the finish at Coda and the, the first overtime or even the first and second overtime, there was a respect there. And, and you look at who was racing and, and you had Kyle Busch in the mix, guys that had already won. Um, so there wasn't a desperation there. And then as you move to the final overtime start, you saw things go a little bit haywire. And, and I, I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, if guys are desperate and they haven't won yet, they're going to do different things. And maybe they throw that etiquette book out the window. So to say the entire, you know, cup series needs a, a lesson in respect, I think is a little heavy handed to say, because I do think it's circumstantial, a mix of who has won so far, what type of track we're at, who's in the lead. So you really have to take everything into consideration. Alex, what do you think? I think there's multiple things. And I agree with both Dave and Kim on, on their thoughts on that. But I think part of it is also the box that these drivers are put in. These cars are basically equal race cars and you have to take everything you can possibly get on restarts. And that's, I think, where we're seeing the majority of the quote unquote disrespect from drivers. But restarts are chaotic because you have to go get it. Uh, if you allow somebody to get in front of you, it's, it's over the, the bottom line. That's what it comes down to. I think part of what we saw at Circuit of the Americas is a little unique based off of what we've seen at the other racetracks because of the way the track is made. You're climbing a hill in a race car with a surrounding headrest that's hard to see anyway, knowing you got to get all you can get. It's a blind left-hand turn that's very slow and a wide racetrack. So I think I think it was the perfect storm at Circuit of the Americas. But to me, most of all, I'm not so sure it's a big disrespect deal. To Kim's point, it's circumstantial. For the drivers mid-pack that need to get as many points as they can get, they were the ones that were desperate. Fair enough. Well, let's let's turn it around. And instead of talking about disrespect, let's hang some respect on someone's name. We're six races in. William Byron has two wins. Stenhouse won the 500. Kyle Busch has won. Joey Logano, Tyler Reddick have all won cup races. Alex, I'll begin with you. In your opinion, right now as we sit six races in, a six-pack in, who is the best driver or best team right now? Or can we even declare one? For me, that's hard because when you look at who wins races, is that what you determine this with? Is that the judging criteria is race winners? Well, we've had five different winners in the first six races. If you include the Bushlight Clash in the L.A. Coliseum, then it's six of seven. Truex won that race. So I look at it a little bit differently. I look at the raw numbers. Who's been leading a ton of laps? Who's been up front most of the time? Who spent the majority of these races racing inside the top five. And that driver might be a surprise to a lot is Denny Hamlin. So it's hard for me not to put Denny Hamlin in the conversation about being the best driver, best team right now, even though they're not getting all the results. I feel like that they're, they're due. That's just coming back down to not getting the finishes, but they're running at the front of the field, the majority of every single race. Kim, what do you think? 
I don't mean this to be uh, an out, but I, th I still think it's too early. We did the same exact thing last year where we had a number of different drivers that had won a number of different races at the beginning, and we still had our favorites. And as things inched forward, we saw, you know, parity blossom, which I think we're going to continue to see that this year, to Alex's point, uh, five different winners in six different points races, six of seven if you count the, the clash at the Coliseum. So I, I still think it's too early. Way too early to decide a favorite. Way too early um, to to look at race winners even and say, oh, you know, they're the favorite for the championship or this year. You know, everybody's talking about William Byron. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Yes, he's the first driver to win two races, but it's exactly what we saw from that team last year. It is literally they're repeating what they did last year. They won two races early. Then they went into this slump. We didn't hear or see from them really until the playoffs. And, and it's really a repeat for me. If you look at the handful of finishes he has so far this year, you compare him to the first handful of races last year, and you've got finishes in the 30th and that, that sort of thing. And then you have a couple here and there, uh, top fives, other than the two race wins. So for me, uh, it, it's too early to talk favorites. I'm not putting William Byron as a favorite yet, even though he's won two races. Prove to me, 2014, that this is not a repeat of what you guys did last year. Dave, what do you think? Who you'd like to uh, bark about right now? Well, it, it is too early, but that never stopped us before. Uh, I'll tell you this. Ross Chastain's at the top of the point standings. I never expected that I would use the word consistency in association with Ross Chastain, but he has exactly been that. A couple of top fives and three top ten finishes this year. He's doing exactly what he did last year, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to go to victory lane sooner than later. And I'll tell you this, there's a couple of guys that if I'm the competition, they scare the heck out of me right now. Kyle Busch has meshed with Richard Childress Racing instantaneously. He's on the board with a win. He's got four top five, uh, four top tens in six races. He's been a factor just about every time out this year. And at the risk of jumping on the guy that went to victory lane last, lest we forget, Tyler Reddick scored a grand total of four championship points in the first four races of the season. Since then, he scored 157, and he is in the top 10 in the championship standings. So that team had a little bit of a rough spot. They hit a couple of potholes to get their season started. But, man, oh, man, they have come together quickly, and he is really, really good. I don't think there's any even debate anymore about who's the best road course racer in NASCAR. I think it's Tyler Reddick uh, with three wins in the last seven races. And you can't write him out on the big tracks where he loves to get up there and run the wall. You can't write him out on the short tracks because that's where he came from. I really like the look of Tyler, Tyler Reddick right now. Oh, there's no doubt that he is in the conversation. I appreciate the perspective of all three of you. Let's pause the conversation for a moment because another driver getting conversation is Corey LaJoy and what he's done with Spire Motorsports. When we come back, we'll visit with Corey and then we'll pick up more of the NASCAR Live Fast Forum. This is NASCAR Live. Now back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Corey LaJoy is enjoying a strong start to the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season. Currently, Corey is sitting 15th in the driver's standings with a pair of top five and top 10 finishes in six starts. He and the team will be back at it again this weekend in Richmond. Our Jason Toy caught up with Corey ahead of racing of the Commonwealth. You've been up there continuing. I know Daytona, you're up towards the top five. And what is the difference between this year and last year 
for you inspire motorsports? Um, I think you're starting to see, you know, us execute races better. We bring faster cars to the racetrack. And any time last year that we didn't have something break or mistake on pit road or something like that, man, we would generally finish inside the top 20. Last year, we only completed 83% of the laps. And that's a that's an atrocious stat when you're up against guys that are completing 96-7% of laps. Um, especially with this new car, man, you can't afford to have any mechanical failures, self-induced failures. And I think the next closest to us was like 90% of the laps. So you obviously can't get points if you're sitting in the garage. So we made it a point to, to clean up a lot of the areas in terms of reliability. And, you know, also I've, I've had some confidence. I've had a, a lot of confidence rolling into this year of what my abilities are. And, you know, just like anybody else in this thing, it's con- if it, when it's contract year, you tend to pull the belts a little tighter and get up on the wheels. So, um, you know, a lot of big things coming on the horizon with this new TV deal and, and you know, drivers retiring and, um, you want to be in the conversation and luckily to, uh, to start for the first month and a half, two months of this thing, we've been in a lot of conversations. What did you change personally for you, you know, to kind of to where you are this part of the season now? I know, you know, everybody talks about the hair. You cut the hair and you did a whole bunch of other things. What kind of things did you do in the off season, kind of self-reflection wise to get you mentally prepared? Yeah, man, I didn't want to, uh, you know, keep doing the same things and expecting different results. Um, you know, whether it's that's the definition for insanity. That's it. Yeah. And you know, I've been this is my seventh year, and you know how I approach things. Um, yeah, I just wanted to change it up a little bit, and, and you know, maybe readjust how I do it, readjust some priorities of, of where I'm spending time, and um, you know, cut the hair was just a good start of like, you know wanting to really bear down and like somebody somebody had a good analogy of like cut the PT Barnum you know like I've had to be the PT Barnum a bit of like trying to put on a show to get people to talk about you when you're not running good um, and um, I was tired of that I'm tired of putting on that you know I'm tired of people talking about my hair tired of people talking about this or that how good I you know how good the podcast is I want people to talk about you know Corey being a contender and and with the potential one day of being like a championship guy because I think uh, I'm capable of doing that with the right group I think that we can you know you've seen that uh, what I'm capable of doing so I want people to I want people to start talking about that a bit more and just in terms of how I prepare um, you know I, I more or less cut out drinking um, not that I was doing a lot but I just it's it's a pretty bad inflammatory and um, you know, just cut it out completely on the weekends, um, maybe have a glass of wine once or twice a week with the wife at the house. But, you know, when it comes to taking off and going on the weekends, man, just water and SMT and locking in uh, for the job at hand. All right, let's talk about Richmond a little bit. You're going to a, a track, nice little short track, always a lot of fun. What do you anticipate for this weekend? Man, Richmond is so freaking worn out, man. It's just uh, one of those places where some tire conservation comes in. You'll have some guys good on the front end of the run. You got some guys good on the back end of the run. Um, you know, coming off that, uh, I don't even know what you want to call that, a coda. Um, cluster is probably a good word with something attached after that. You got a lot of guys with some bent feelings and some, you know, some tempers that are carrying over. The driver chat's been uh, pretty lit this week um, with guys kind of going back and forth. So you might see some guys getting into it a little bit. And then we turn around and go to Bristol. We turn around and go to Martinsville. So we have a lot of opportunities for people to smash into each other. 
and get the tempers all riled up. So we just want to make sure that, you know, I think for our team, we've had a, a bit of a struggle at Richmond with, with the setup. We ran okay there in the fall. Um, so we could just keep tuning on that, keep trying to find a good grasp of setup on that uh, on that track. And I've uh, ran well in the K&N car there a couple times. So I, uh, I just want to go continue because I know if we can execute our pit crews really solid, um, if we can stand, if we qualify well, we can stand a lead lap, and then we give ourselves a fighting shot the third stage, and, and then we can get out, we can get after it. You know, hey, real quick on what, what you mentioned there about some hurt feelings coming from Coda and some other things. We've seen kind of hurt feelings inside team inside team meetings too. I'm sure. I know you control what you can control, but when you have your spotter up there with you and you know that these things are happening out there. Are you guys kind of keeping that in the back of your mind of trying to avoid, okay, I don't want to get near these two right now because of the bad blood? Um, yeah, you definitely keep an eye on them. You know, yeah. guy, guys certain, certainly start – you can tell when just like the, the aggression cranks up a bit. Um, guys start door smashing a little bit, running each other a little tighter, whether it's a road course or a short track or even an intermediate. Um <clears throat> And there's also people generally you just keep an eye on anyways, just because their trouble seems to find them more often, right? So yeah. you want to make sure that you, it's not like you can get away from them sometimes because a lot of times you're around those guys trying to pass them or whatever. You want to make sure you race those guys accordingly. Um, and, and that's what some experience helps with of just understanding how to race certain guys at certain um, times of the race. And when the pay one opens up, it's just a free for all. Thank you, Jason. Coming up, our NASCAR Live Fast Forum returns. We'll look ahead to the upcoming short track swing. And later, we set the stage for how the drivers are feeling going into Richmond. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Good visit with Corey LaJoy there. A couple of moments ago, we continue our NASCAR Live Fast Forum with Dave Moody and Alex Hayden. Gentlemen, curious about your thoughts about Corey. While Spire Motorsports is not necessarily at the front end of the cup garage, I would venture to say that there has been progress made in 2023. Alex, what do you think? Agreed. When you look at his finishes, when you get 16th, 14th, uh, he's got a, a fourth at Atlanta coming off at, at Circuit of the Americas where he was 11th. Corey LaJoy and Spire Motorsports is a team that's going in the right direction. And I think this is kind of um, on a bit of a different scale, but similar to what we've seen with track house racing. This race car has enabled this race team and this driver to pull closer to the to the mega teams out there. And the success that Spire's having and the good finishes that Corey LaJoy's given that race car, I think is a feel-good story on the season. It's certainly early, and there's a lot of racing still to go, but I don't see any reason why we can start saying Corey LaJoy is going to start falling back and running 25th to 35th maybe in that that round. I think Corey LaJoy is one of those drivers that's got a taste now of the top five. He's got a, a regular taste of the top 10, and this is a team and a driver that likes the taste, and they want to stay up there in the top five and top 10, and I think they're good enough to do it. Dave, I think this is a team and a driver that's come a long way, and they both are continuing to develop right now. And you're exactly right. And, and you know, the temptation is there to talk all about Corey here. But uh, like Kevin Harvick says all the time, you can't go fast in a slow race car. And Spire Motorsports has made methodical steps a little at a time, investing and reinvesting as they could to try and get their equipment better and take advantage of the talent that is Corey LaJoy. 
With that said, and all due respect to the race team, Corey LaJoy has always been a guy that if you put him in a 30th place car, he's going to run 20th. If you put him in a 20th place car, he's going to run 15th. And if you put him in a top 15 car, he's going to be in the top 10 and the top five. And they've made what I think is one of the most difficult competitive steps in our sport. It's easy to get to where they've been the last couple of years, where you can finish in the top five at Daytona or Talladega or Atlanta, or if you just have a really good race and a bunch of other guys have a not so good race, maybe you grab a top 10 somewhere else. But they're in a position now where week to week to week, they are not at all surprised and neither are we to see Spire Motorsports and Corey LaJoy in the top 10. That's a really difficult step to take in this sport. And like you said a minute ago, I don't see any signs of them backsliding. I think that they are where they're going to remain now. Well, Corey, Spire Motorsports, and the rest of the Cup Series gentry are now about to begin a three-race run on short tracks. You've got Richmond this weekend. We're on the dirt at Bristol Easter weekend. And then we go to Martinsville Three totally different racetracks, two of which in Richmond and Martinsville will be on the new aerodynamic package, the lower downforce situation for the cup cars. What are your expectations for the next three races in what I guess we'll call a short track swing? We had a West Coast swing, but now we've got a three race short track swing coming up day beginning this weekend. Please, I'm ready. I, I can't. I can't look forward to it more. <laughs> I love the Daytonas, and I, I've grown to love the road courses over the last six or seven years. Didn't always, but now have have definitely been converted. But man, I'm a short track guy. That's where we all started, and and going to Richmond and going to Martinsville, and, and God help us putting dirt down on Bristol again. This is where we really separate the racers from the, from the pretenders, right? The, the contenders from the pretenders. And this is where the bread and butter is. And, and I'm looking forward to it because if you think you saw some beat and bang at Circuit of the Americas, and yes, we did, you're going to see some beat and bang in the next three weeks. Maybe not so much Richmond, but certainly when we get to the Bristol dirt, certainly when we get to Martinsville, it's gloves off time, man, and, and I'm ready. You know, take that a step further. How do you know who the best in the short track is right now? The last eight short tracks have been won by eight different drivers. Uh, and then the starting position has been worse than 13th on those. And uh, that is a testament to the level of competition we've got across the board in the NASCAR Cup Series. So while there are dominant drivers, guys like Kyle Busch, who can win on a short track, Martin Truex Jr. as of late is a short track guy. Uh, there are so many different drivers you tend to, to migrate to when you start thinking short track racing. But on the same token, the numbers simply don't lie. With eight different winners in the last eight short tracks, who knows how this is going to play out? Throw in the new uh, aerodynamic package that, Mike, you referred to a moment ago. And heck, who knows what Mother Nature is going to do? Because now in 2023, NASCAR says if there's water or a few spitting raindrops, we're going to race on the short tracks. So there's a lot of new factors that come into play for this year. I can't wait to get short track race. I've always been a fan of racing during the daytime at Richmond. And now with the lower downforce package that they have, the drivers are saying slipping and sliding. Strategy is going to come into play. Alex, on paper this weekend, we have a dandy shaping up. Temperature is going to be probably in the mid-60s or so, sunny skies. But with drivers hanging on for dear life in the corners, to me, that makes an entertaining race. And I know everybody has their own definition, but at least on paper, looks like we got something good coming up this weekend. The last few years when we've raced Richmond Raceway, 
it's been more like the old Darlington, if you will, when it comes down to tire wear for those Goodyear tires. They wear out. And then we've seen a lot of long green flag runs. We're seeing more green flag pit stops at Richmond than we are at a lot of other racetracks that you would expect to have that happen. So, yes, yeah, strategy is absolutely going to come into play. And we're taking off some downforce, which means the cars are going to slip and slide even more, which means the tires are going to wear out even faster. So to me, this is going to come down, especially at Richmond this weekend on who can be smooth on the throttle, who can be smooth with the steering wheel to not wear the tires out quite as much, because you're going to have to make pit stops. Fresh Goodyear tires are going to be king at Richmond this weekend. So to throw in the fact that you've got the opportunity for a crew chief to say, let's do something different. Let's get off sequence. I think that is just something that that makes NASCAR racing so special is because you can do different things and create new opportunities that might not necessarily have. Dave, Alex and I will be uh, holding things down to the racetrack at Richmond. You're off this weekend. What do you got coming up? How will you be uh, monitoring things from afar? I'm going to be all over it for sure. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be multi-screening. I'll probably have TV, TV video and MRN audio on. That's that's my preferred mode. Uh, I'll say this about Richmond, and they've kind of ping-pong balled back and forth over the last few years between day racing and night racing. For me, the sweet spot in terms of getting the best competition possible out of Richmond has been a day race where it's about 85 degrees and they're slipping and sliding and elbows up and running way up next to the outside wall because you can find a little grip up there. We're not going to have the 85 degrees, it doesn't sound like. But with this new aerodynamic package, I'm very curious to see whether we need 85 degrees to get those kind of race conditions. My my suspicion and my hope is that we don't and we'll get the same kind of racing with 65 to 70 that we got with 85 to 90 in the past. Because, man, there's there's nothing better than seeing them three wide going into turn three at Richmond Raceway. Can't wait to get to the capital of the Commonwealth. Our coverage from Richmond begins Friday evening. It's the NASCAR Wheeland Modified Tour. Virginia is for Racing Lovers 150, MRN airtime at 6.30. On Saturday, we'll have coverage of practice and qualifying at 10 a.m. in the East. Then the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Toyota Care 250 at 12.30 Eastern Time. And then we're back Sunday for the Toyota Owners 400 and the NASCAR Cup Series, NASCAR Live Race Day airtime 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Alex, Dave? Appreciate the perspective and the time. We'll catch up soon, friends. Look forward to it. Thanks, Mike. Also, our thanks to Kim Kuhn for joining us for the NASCAR Live Fast Forum as well. As more is coming up on NASCAR Live. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The NASCAR Cup Series is set to visit three consecutive short tracks before heading to Talladega Super Speedway in the middle of April. First up this weekend is Richmond Raceway. Let's hear what several of the drivers have to say as they embark upon the annual spring short track swing. After the NASCAR Cup Series raced on the longest track of this year's schedule in the 3.41-mile Circuit of the Americas, the drivers will now be in for a much shorter lap time on the three-quarter-mile Richmond Raceway. In recent years, Richmond has undergone a bit of a metamorphosis in terms of the aging of its surface. A.J. Allmendinger says that the track being in its current state allows for more strategy to come into play. It's really worn out. Uh, it's slick. It wears out tires quick, which allows for strategy because 
you can actually, depending on the speed of your race car, you can actually pit twice compared to somebody pitting once in a long stage or at the end of a race and, and make it work. So it makes it unique on, on that strategy. Uh, I think it's one of those racetracks that can be really fun if you hit the setup and it can be absolutely atrocious if you don't. Like it, it's miserable if you miss the setup. In this race last year, pit road strategy played a major factor in the outcome as Chris Gabehart's call to pit Denny Hamlin in extra time allowed for him to track down the leader in the closing laps. This year, the crew chiefs will have something else to deal with. The new low downforce package that we've seen in recent weeks at Coda and Phoenix. Austin Sindrick says that Richmond might be the most extreme example as far as how this package could change the racing. I think there's less places to hide at Richmond as far as when you're bad, you're really bad. And in this package, you know, even at Phoenix, when you were a little bit off, you were really off. I, I could certainly see Richmond, you know, being a bit more of an extreme example, probably the most extreme um, that you would ever see as far as that's concerned. So uh, I, I think that's a perfect example of a race weekend that you're going to have to, the, the guys that can execute and keep up with the track are, are really going to be able to excel with this package or have an opportunity to excel more with this package than the previous package. But characteristically, I, I feel like a lot of those things are the same. It's just probably a little bit more exaggerated with being in a much smaller window on grip. Without having raced on this track with this package yet, teams will have to rely on simulator data if they want to have speed when they unload. Almendinger says that even before these changes were made, Richmond was always unpredictable in terms of what the winning setup actually is. But I've, I've been on both ends of it. I've had race cars that are really good there, and it's so much fun to drive around there. Uh, you have to be so easy with the throttle. You got to take care of your tires. So it's it's enjoyable. But if you miss it, like it's you're just out in left field and you and there's nothing it feels like that you can do to fix the car. So what, what makes that track tricky to me is one race to the next. You have no idea if you got the right setup. I, I've went there and been really good. And then you go back in the fall race. And it's the same setup, same tire, same everything, and you're and you're awful. So it's a tricky racetrack that it seems like every year it changes and, and you gotta figure it out. For years, both of Richmond's races were held at night before NASCAR pivoted to Sunday afternoon in recent seasons. Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell has always been in favor of Richmond in the daylight. It seems like you can move around a little bit more in the daytime, which is you know a good thing for uh, the racing product because you're able to generate momentum and create passes. Uh, so that's good. I, I've always liked Richmond a little bit more in the daytime just because you get to you know run different lanes. If what Bell says holds true, that might be good news for Chase Briscoe. The Stuart Haas racing driver ranks Richmond amongst his worst racetracks, but hopes things could turn around if he is able to work in the top lane this weekend. Yeah, it's it's hard for me. I would say it's probably my second worst racetrack. So I don't know what it is about that place. I've always just struggled there for whatever reason. I will say though, the last race we were in there, we were able to run up by the wall, and I was I was pretty good. So I'm hoping that it'll be the same this time around, um, where we can really move around and run up by the fence. And if we do that, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like when we can move around there, it's a lot easier for me. But when it's on the bottom, I definitely struggle there. Bell has not faced the struggles that Briscoe has at the formerly known Action Track. In fact, Richmond should be considered one of, if not his best racetrack. The Oklahoma native won there three times in the Xfinity Series and has an average finish of sixth at Richmond in the Cup Series. 
his best of any track. Bell defers the credit for the success there to his race team, though. Because uh, I drive for Joe Gibbs. Um, for some reason, JGR has been really good at that track. And, you know, I wish that I could sit here and tell you that it's something I'm doing, but it's clearly not because all of our cars run good every time we go there. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely one that I know this whole company has circled. All four Joe Gibbs racing cars will look to make it back-to-back victories for Toyota after Tyler Reddick brought the manufacturer their first 2023 win at Circuit of the Americas. Will Bell or Reddick make it another big weekend for Toyota? Or will a blue oval or bow tie rise to prominence and spoil the party? We find out Sunday afternoon in the Toyota Owners 400. That Richmond preview was brought to you by Whelan Engineering. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, has been manufacturing in America for over 70 years. We never left, and we're here to stay. Coming up, we'll put a bow on this week's show by revisiting the 1999 Exide Batteries 400. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we do, we're activating the MRN time machine yet again. Let's go back to the 1999 Exide Batteries 400 from Richmond Raceway. Ricky Rudd has dropped to the tail end of the field, as we discussed a few minutes ago. He will start in the 43rd position, and that said, the pace car comes to the opening of pit road and hangs a left behind the wall. Mike Skinner and Tony Stewart on the front row. Rusty Wallace and Bobby Labonte in row two. We're ready to start the Exide NASCAR Select 400. Green flag is in the air, and on the break, Mike Skinner jumps the clutch out, takes off for turn number one, tries to get away and out front all by himself. He may be able to do it, but Tony Stewart comes back in the throttle, and they race for the lead off turn two. Stewart pulls up on the high side, the fast lane coming off turn number two, and challenges Skinner once again. Halfway down the back straightaway, they're stacked up double wide. Jeffrey Bodine sitting back in fifth with a first challenge from Jeff Gordon on the outside. Double wide still all the way back through most of the field as they come to the stripe. Skinner leads by a hood, but Tony Stewart hanging tough on the outside for the race lead. They go double wide back to one. Stewart goes in a little deeper this time. Now pulls the fender out in front of Mike Skinner as they exit turn number two. Let's see if he can complete the pass. He's strong in the back straightaway. And Stewart's got the spot, but he's up high. Down low. Skinner on the attack again. You're not going to see a lot of single file racing the first few laps here at Richmond tonight. Now it is Tony Stewart grabbing the lead. He's by himself out front on the outside going into turn number one. Bobby Labonte trying to take away second place from Mike Skinner. Mike Skinner has the inside lane covered once again. So far that's not paid off for him. To the outside of him is Bobby Labonte side by side for the second spot charging hard into turn number three. Bonnie up high, Mike Skinner down low, Skinner hanging tough on the inside, Tony Stewart slips in the outside lane, here's Skinner back underneath him for the race lead, Skinner back in front, Bobby Labonte jumps into the bottom lane to try and follow him through around Stewart. Skinner wants to come up the racetrack up in front of Tony Stewart, but before he can, Stewart's back up alongside, challenging to retake the lead, Danny even once again, Skinner and Stewart in turn three. Now there's some strong cars behind the front two or three, but all they can do right now is watch the front three race up there, door to door, nowhere to go, even if they got a car that can get up there. There's just not room enough to pass. Still a hot battle for the lead. Skinner inside. Stewart outside. Off turn two. Here they come up off the corner, battling for the lead, while Bobby Labonte has now taken sole possession of the third spot. At the end of the back straightaway, single file for the first time. Stewart, Skinner, then the 
Bobby Labonte. So Tony Stewart and Mike Skinner trade the lead three times. That flashback is brought to you by Mahindra. Race fans, don't forget to cheer for Chase Briscoe in the Mahindra Tractors number 14 car and race into your local dealer for big savings on Mahindra, the official tractor of tough. You can hear that race in its entirety right now on MRN.com or by subscribing to MRN Classic Races wherever you listen to podcasts. like to thank Corey LaJoy for joining us on the show along with Dave Moody, Alex Hayden, and Kim Kuhn. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget NASCAR Live wide open on Thursday. We've also got NASCAR Live race day back Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, my friends, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.